Loyalty to Rangers is what binds us. And together, we are stronger. Launching for the 2021 season, the MyJers membership program is a new way to get even closer to the club you love. It's the one place where you can access benefits like ticketing priority, club discounts, and exclusive competitions and experiences. There's even a limited edition welcome gift when you join. Visit rangers.co.uk slash myjers to join today. Always Rangers, always loyal, always rewarded. Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of the Four Lads Had a Dream podcast. I, my name is Stephen Clifford, I'm your host, and joining us today is regular co-host, Chief Sports Writer at the Glasgow Times and Heralds Group, Mr Chris Jack. Chris, how are you? Hi Stephen, all good, thanks. And joining us today um, is a very special guest. He won six league titles with Rangers, three Scottish Cups, two League Cups, and is also a member of our Hall of Fame. He had a testimonial against Rangers back in 2002, and this is part one of his story, his playing years. Please welcome Mr Stuart McCall. Stuart, how are you? Brilliant, lads. Thanks very much. So it's great to have Stuart with us, um, and we're just going to we'll just get straight into it. I think um, Stuart, as I said, thanks for joining us. Um, early on in your career, can you tell us a wee bit about who your heroes and early influences were? Yeah, I, I think going back to when I was a, a little, a little, a long time ago, um, I was although I was born in Leeds, I was always brought up um, Scottish, if you like. So my dad um, played. Um, you know, back in the 50s, played at Blackpool with Stanley Matthews and the likes and moved to Leeds and that's where I was born. He played with great John Charles and Jackie Charlton and people like that. But that was the end of his career. So, but even though I was born down there, as I say, I was always brought up Scottish. And, you know, if I remember doing a thing when I was uh, 13, 14, and thankfully I still had the, the little programme. I used to play for a Sunday team, um, Pudsey Juniors, and they used to do a little profile on you at the uh, at the back of it, just a few little questions, favourite team, favourite player, things like that. And at the time, I mean, going back years before that, it was like the people go, Billy Bremner, probably, Eddie Gray, um, the Scottish players I played for Leeds because I used to, you know, go to the Leeds games. Um, but um, when I filled that in, it was, favourite player was Tony Curry at the time. Um, he was a, you know, really skillful player. But favourite team was Glasgow Rangers. So, so it was really always good to look back on them because people, when you sign, you go, oh, yeah, you always said you were a Ranger support. But I had it there from when I was 13-year-old. So um, so my influences really with the, with the Leeds players coming through at that time. But, you know, even though Leeds were my team down in England, you know, when I came up, I remember the first time I came up to a, to a Rangers game, I can't remember, 10 or 11, and uh, I got on the, on the bus, supporters bus in Hamilton. And them days you used to have sweeps, so you drew out, obviously, I don't know what would they put in, 10 pence maybe or something like that. And you drew out a, a, a team and a number. And we were playing Dundee that day. And I remember I, I drew out uh, Rangers 9, um, which I was, uh, I was delighted with. Um, big Colin Steen, I was hoping that was going to be when we got there. And it was. And my uh, cousin Billy drew out Rangers 2, which was uh, the late, great Sandy Jardin. Anyway, we get to the game. Um, and then we, the game kicks off. Um, a big calling goes through, rounds the keeper, just about to put it in the net, and uh, gets brought down for a penalty kick. And I'm there going, yeah, it's on you go. Cause thinking big calling would step up, centre forward and take the penalty. My cousin says, hey, not too fast. Sandy stepping up. Sandy stepped up and put it in. 
So that's that's my first. Uh, he was jumping all over me. He'd won the money. Yeah, that was my first memory of uh, coming up to a Rangers game. Yeah, as I said, as a as a kid, I went to Leeds um, because I lived on the doorstep of it. But um, yeah, I had some good memories coming up to watch Rangers as well. That's something I didn't know, obviously, because um, I, I knew you were a Leeds um, fan as a young boy, but I didn't know there was a, the Rangers kind of the side of it. So that's nice to hear. You start, obviously, you're playing football at that age. Um, you play for, obviously, Farsley Celtic, and then you come through Bradford's youth system, and you very quickly get initiated into the first team, and you make a staggering 134 consecutive league appearances. How did how did this all transpire? And talk us through your kind of early career and making the breakthrough and things. Yeah. It's funny enough, you just mentioned in there when I'm under 16 playing for Farsley Celtic, it's hard, isn't it? Hard word to say, but uh, it's funny because they actually played in green and white as well. Did far well, I, I, I didn't want to mention it, but I felt we had to. But in all honesty, and a, a couple of lads that used to be used to play there, and I still speak to occasionally now, I always remember I used to wear my Rangers top underneath the green and white top, even as a like a 15, 16 year old uh, lad. So I used to have a bit of joke of it. I'm never thinking for one second they'd end up, you know, playing for the Rangers, but. I used to wear the Rangers top under that. So even though I played for Farsley Celtic, it was. Uh, but they were a, they were a good side at the time. Actually, they brought a lot of players through into professional football. Um, but yeah, no, obviously went to Bradford as a as a young kid um, and broke into the first team eighteen. And then uh, yeah, we had some obviously we we got promoted in eighty four eighty five. But then had the 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 tragedy of the the fire disaster where I had you know feel my family. They were in it. My dad got burnt and things like that. It's not something I like talking about, but it, it happened. It's you know, it's I go to the memorial every year now, and um, it's amazing how many years ago that is. But yeah, so I had some fantastic times, great times playing so many games as a young kid and uh, getting a promotion and just being in and around the first team was brilliant. But obviously, uh, we had the tragedy of the the disaster in '85. That was something. Obviously, I was going to to ask you about a, a really difficult situation, but you've, you've covered that and, and we'll, we'll kind of, we'll, you know, obviously we want to be respectful to that time, but we'll, we'll move past it and, and then ask you about your kind of, what were the highlights of, of your early time at Bradford? Because that wins you uh, a move to, to Everton. Yeah. And um, you, you begin to not be noticed, but you, that this is your, your big step up. You then become, you, you get your goals in the FA Cup final and things like that. What what can you tell us about your move from Bradford to Everton and and um, I mean a massive move and a great moment for you? Yeah, well it it was funny really because especially in these times at the moment when you've got not a lot to do. I was changing the um, looking through some old um, suitcases and things I've got and I found some um, some old videos and also found some scrapbooks and it's funny looking back because back I think I was about twenty. I remember uh, Sir Alex Ferguson and Archie, who were managers at Aberdeen at the time, coming down to watch me um, playing a, a pre-season game, and you know, I, I, you know, I, so that that was sort of got me on the map. And then I got David Hay at Celtic made an underground bid. I read, I thought, oh, no, there's no way I was going there. And then I think uh, I think it was Jack Charlton at Newcastle. So I was getting linked from 20, 21, 22, but after the after the um, the tragedy, the fire in '85, when I was I think I was 21, just coming up to 21, it just made it it, it bonded the club together, um, and I certainly for myself, 
and I never, I was never, even though the, obviously the Everton move came up, I was never looking to leave because we, we started building a good young hungry team and the aim was to obviously to get to go further again and try to get into the top league and in the last season for uh, Bradford 87-88 season it was the first season the playoffs came down and uh, came out in England and we were up against some big sides then days I mean Middlesbrough you know a, a lot of you know top players Palliston and, and big Tony Mowbray and, and they had a really you know talented side and I think Villa got promoted but anyway we, we, we ended up that Back that season, we got in the playoffs and we played Middlesbrough and we beat them at home 2-1 and um, we went up to their place and we got beat 2-0. I think it was extra time. And um, Colin Harvey was there that day and, you know, there, I got a phone call there after it, you know, saying that everyone were interested. But my dream at that stage was, was to play for Bradford in the Premiership, not, not anybody else, Everton. I got linked. I was linked with Liverpool, Arsenal. Um Players like that, teams like that, should I say? But you know, if Bradford could have got in, got in that that time because of the bond that we we created at the club with what had happened. Um, I would have happily signed, you know, for a five or ten year deal. It wasn't about the finances; it was just about you know the the bond that I say that we'd been with the club. So as it happened, you know, in one way it was I was getting chance to go and play in the top league in the in, in the Premiership. Then was it Division One or whatever it was then? Um, with Everton, a fantastic club, but I was also, you know, sort of leaving a dream behind because, as I said, I, want, I wanted to try to get into the top league with, with Bradford as a, you know, sort of gesture to all the supporters. But yeah, no, it was, um, it was, it was good, brilliant. I loved, I loved my time at Everton. Three great years, fantastic football club, um, and it was, you know, good memories really. The two goals in the FA Cup. There's not a lot of uh, FA Cup final against Liverpool. There's not a lot of. People that will be able to to say that and, and have that on their on their CV, especially from you, Stuart, because we we came to know you as a very dynamic, hard-working midfielder. Uh, uh-huh. You to, to pop up with a couple of goals. What can you remember about that day? And, and tell us about that day, the FA Cup final. Yeah, well, I, I, I tell you what, that that season um, when I joined, um, I, I I mean, I was I wasn't a young boy. I was twenty four, but I felt like I come from Bradford, where I was a big fish in a small pool, if you like. To being a you know a little fish in a big pool, and I, and I was in awe of the people like Peter Reid and Kevin Ratcliffe and Graham Sharp and Big Southall, and I never really felt certainly first season I did myself justice at all. Um, I remember scoring the as he said I don't score many goals. I scored the winner against Wimbledon who were the holders at the time in a quarter final tie at Everton. The goodish and the atmosphere was incredible to get through to the semi final, um, and then obviously the semi final. And I got left out of the team just before the semi-final. First time that season. Um, I was on the bench at Norwich, well, against Norwich in the semi-final at Villa Park. And obviously, the same day, at the same time, the tragedy was occurring at uh, Hillsborough with Liverpool. Um, and then, obviously, things transpired. Liverpool got to the final. Everton got to the final. And in the morning of the game, running up to the... I'd always been involved in the, in the team, either playing or being on the bench. But the manager never named the, four, the, the substitutes until, the, the, until lunchtime. And there, were, there was four of us up for it. Um, and I remember walking up the stairs at, uh, after pre-match. It was going what, quarter past 12 there. And the manager, Colin Harvey, was behind me. And I'd walked up two flights of steps and he'd not said anything. I'm thinking, this isn't good news. I don't think I'm going to even make the bench. It would have been the first time that season I'd not been you know, involved. Anyway, as, it, as he went to his room and I went the other way, he went, Mackie, you're... Uh, you're sub today. 
So it was just a, first and foremost, it was just a relief. Um, I had a few of my family down, but I kept saying, I'm not sure if I'm going to be even involved. So we get to the, you know, the stadium, obviously, it's an unbelievable occasion, Liverpool, Everton, after the tragedy of the Hillsborough. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a red hot day, I think it's 93 degrees or something like that. So as a substitute, there's only two subs. You're thinking in them temperatures, the Wembley, obviously turf, sapped energies, hopefully I can get on um, and, and get on early. And thankfully, I think it was after about an hour, Paul Brace, we were 1-0 down, Paul Brace well, uh, came off and I came on. And it was in the dying embers of the game, I think 89th, 90th minute, then uh, I managed to toe poker. I was always deadly from a, a yard. I managed to toe poker a ball in in the, almost the last kick of the game and um, to, get us, to get us level and then extra time. And I'd came on as a substitute and, and Ian Rush had came on as a substitute for Liverpool. And then uh, Rush scored to make it 2-1. I managed to, you know, actually decent volley um, from outside the box to make it 2 all, and then straight away Rushy scored. So I became the first um, substitute to score two at Wembley, closely followed by Ian Rush, um, who got two for Liverpool on that day. But... Yeah, as memories go, for me, obviously for my family, it was great to look back on two goals. But I'll be honest with you, I, I don't even know where the, that medal is, you know, because it's a loser's medal. Um, in fact, I'm not even sure if I've got it. Um, so, yeah, it was good to look back on and people talk about the two goals at Wembley. But I'd have much rather have you know, played in the game and, and not scored and, and got a winner's medal. Um, but, yeah, I suppose, like you say, it, it sort of put me on the map a little bit. Um, a little bit them and then it, it took off and you know Scotland I, I certainly gave me a lot more confidence for the second season and I, I went back in and I thought right I'm gonna have to you know not be in awe of everyone and uh, play my own game and thankfully you know the the, the last two seasons at Everton were uh, were really enjoyable and I, I thought I played you know quite well then as opposed to my first season where I was just sort of a bit part player really and um, you know I, 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 I what I should have done, I should have gone in there with a bit more confidence, but um, it worked out in the end. Meanwhile, up in Scotland, um, Graham Souness leaves Rangers and, and comes down to Liverpool. Walter takes over and brings in Archie Knox. Yeah. In that summer, Rangers um, come calling just after sealing three in, a, three in a row where Mark Haitley will get a couple of cracking goals against Aberdeen. What were your early memories of, of Rangers' interest and in, in, was it a difficult decision um, to come up and, and join Rangers and, and what did you what were you told about the club and Walter's vision and things at the time yeah well it, it's funny because my back end in my third season at Everton where I, as I said things were going quite good and I, I enjoyed my time at Everton there's no doubt about it and then right out of the blue the back end of the season I got a phone call um, I have no idea who it was from the guy would said he was a journalist and uh, he just asked me, you know, the first thing he asked me, would I be interested in uh, joining Rangers? And I'm thinking, what, Berwick Rangers or Stafford Rangers? Um, but Glasgow Rangers. And the second thing he asked me is what school I went to. And I'm, what school did I go to? Obviously, I know now what he was on about, but uh, it was quite funny. Anyway, it, it was a short call and he just basically knew, would I be interested um, if the ch- chance arose? Um you know, that Graham had been interested in signing me um, at the end of the season. So, you know, I thought, wow, that's 
yeah, that would be amazing. As I said, as much as I love my time at um, Everton, and wasn't I wasn't looking to move, but the new manager Howard Kendall had come in, and I think you know it made it clear that he wanted to to move a couple of people on. He had a lot of midfielders at the time, and I would probably be one of them. And then you know, not long later, the the, the bombshell that obviously Graham left and um, left to go to Liverpool. So I, I didn't really knew, I didn't know where that that stood me anymore. I thought, well, that, that, that'll be uh, knocked on the head, the move to Rangers. And obviously, I, I kept in touch. I watched the, I watched the game at Motherwell um, when Rangers got beat. Um, and then the final game was amazing, wasn't it? I, you know, big marks, marks two goals to, to, to win the league was fantastic. But then again, in the, in the close season, um, it was all quiet. And then... Right, just before the deadline, I got a phone call again out of the blue. I think the agent rung me to say Rangers were back in um, and they'd like me to go up and, 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 and talk to them. That time, Everton had just brought um, Peter Beardsley in and I was looking forward to playing with Peter because I thought he was a world-class player. Um, but in answer to your first question, did they have a second thought about it? I couldn't get to the airport quick enough at the end because I knew there was one manager in Walter Smith who was desperate to sign me, which was great. And I had another manager in, Howard Kendall, who was happily wanting me to, to go to free up some funds to bring them in. So that made the decision easier. Um, and I remember getting a call from Howard Kendall. It was, it was Thursday, Thursday afternoon. And he rung me and he just says, listen, bit of news. Um, I know you'll be sat at home, um, but it's deadline day up in Scotland. There's a chance Rangers, um, you know, would, would want to speak to you. C- could you make it up there? Well, little little note to him, I was already in Manchester Airport um, waiting to fly up because my agent had told me to get ready, but I had to have it confirmed by obviously Howard Kendall. Um, and next minute I'm speaking, I was saying, oh yeah, I can get up there, I'll get up there. Next minute the Tannoy, bing bong, the next flight to Glasgow, in fact it was to Edinburgh I was going, we'll be leaving. So my, my cover was busted there, you know, I think he knew. But I think my agent and Howard knew each other quite well and Howard already knew I was, was heading up there. So, yeah, I, I flew up to Edinburgh um, and I think Walter was away at the time, just coming back off his holiday. And I met um, Archie, picked me up and took me to the, um, David Murray's offices just um, in Edinburgh. And I remember being in there and, you know, it was all, it was all down to whether if Trevor was going to go to Marseille. So then that, that freed up a, a midfield space for myself. That deal got done. Um, I had to then get back down to, to Glasgow to do a medical before I think the midnight 12 o'clock deadline for European deadline and uh, you know the, the journey back down the road with Archie he was telling me how much I was going to love it and putting a shirt on and you know I, of course I mean I don't even think I discussed finances it was just, it was just getting back down to Ibrahim but on the way down I never thought I'd get there I mean Archie must have hit you have the two lanes of the motorway and you can see it's flashing, it's going into one lane and the bollards and the cones are starting taking it up. Archie was that busy talking to me about how great it's going to be at Rangers and that. He hit nearly every cone in the road and boom, boom, boom. I thought, we we're gonna, I don't think we're ever going to get to Ibrox. But in the end, we got there. And um, you know, as I said, I, I knew Archie a bit. Obviously, I knew Archie from his time down at Manchester United. You know, But I didn't, I didn't really know Walter, I've got to be honest. Um, and, you know, to... to Getting there on the Thursday night, managed to do the medical, and then joined up with the team on Friday. And the first training training session at Ibrox ahead of going to Hearts was just a whirlwind, but an incredible incredible moment for myself, and probably one of the proudest ones going up the the marble staircase um, 
you know, when I signed was was just an absolute dream come true. That first season at Ibrookshire, you win the league, you win the uh, cup double as well. What did it mean to you to lift a bit of silverware with Rangers? And could you sense, even at that early stage, that that team and that squad were on the cusp of something pretty special? Well, yeah, I, th- I think the key, the key thing, without a doubt, for me was the the, um, the cup semi final win at, at Hamden. Um, I think we'd been knocked out of Europe. Um, we'd been knocked out by Hibs, I think, in the Skull Cup. We were doing okay in the league. Um, but this was a, f- a real test. And I, I genuinely think that night um, was, well, we can, that's when Walter's team was born, I think, because, you know, we remember the scenario was bouncing down. It was, you know, it was a really horrible night. We came out. And within five, six minutes, David Robertson, our left back, who was a great servant for us, um, had taken Archie Knox's words literally when he told him to take we Joe Miller out. They used to play together at Aberdeen. I think Robbo took him out by his throat with his studs and I don't think the referee had any hesitation in giving Robbo a red card. And obviously we go down to 10 men for, what, 80-odd minutes against his main rivals. But going... You know, the game carries on and just before our time amounts to nick the ball and halfway and square it to Koisi on the 18-yard box and Koisi did what Koisi always did in the big games and put it in the bottom corner. And um, it was front of the Rangers' end, it was brilliant. But we knew we had another, obviously, 45 minutes with 10 men. And we held out. Gorham, again, as usual, was outstanding. I think I can remember McStay hitting the bar. And we held on. And I remember in the dressing room looking round and you think, right, this is it. You know, you can trust people. If we can go head-to-head with our nearest rivals with 10 men and, and come out the other side, um, there was a real bomb beginning to build in that squad. This was Walter's team now. And, um, yeah, I think that, that led on to us winning the league. And then going on and, and probably winning one of the poorest cup finals of the season against Airdrie 2-1. But I think the, the key was, you know, not the performance. Although I was quite disappointed after the game, wanted to win it in style. It was the first time Rangers won the Scottish Cup for 11 years, which was quite incredible when you look at Graham's side that we had. I remember we, Jimmy Bell, the, uh, the kit man, used to go in his room and he had pictures up of everyone. He had Terry Butcher and, and Chris Woods and Graham Souness and he did have many Scottish ones. I think he had Coyston Durant, his favourites. Uh, but I used to say to Jimmy, what does it take to, to get up there, get on your wall? And he, he says, well, you have to win the Scottish Cup. So we won that. And I don't know if I was more pleased at winning the Scottish Cup and getting a medal or actually walking back in on Monday and making it onto Jimmy's wall in his kit room, you know. So that was, they were good times. But yeah, it was, it was a fantastic first season, obviously, to do the double. Um, and, and I mean, and then days, you know, nine-year-old one talked about, we'd only four, four seasons in. Um, it was just getting that first season under Walter and, and, and putting building blocks in progress for what hopefully was going to be a um, successful time to come. Also, the, the following campaign, that 92-93 campaign, perhaps one of the most successful of your time. And through all the, all the guys that I speak to from that squad, they always rank that campaign and that, that side is perhaps the best they played in during the, the time at Ibrox. Also, the first, first piece of silver where you get a League Cup in the October, uh, you get the goal in the final, uh, beating Aberdeen. Just talk us through that day. And also, it's a special moment to, uh, to win the Cup, but for yourself to uh, score a goal as well must have been great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because as you say, it didn't happen much. But yeah, I know, and it, it, it's funny, I think when you go back to that season, 92, 93, and, and people will, will always reminisce about the nine in a row era. 
And, you know, naturally the first people will mention is Gazard and Laudrup and, and Big George and people like that. But I think, like you say, the 92-93 season was probably more successful. Um, you know, in the middle of the park was me and Ian Ferguson, you know, and Bomber and a Big Slim and, you know, lads who didn't get loads of mentions. Obviously, had with Poiston and Big Mark up top and, and, and Geraint, who was a man for big occasion. But we just had a real, you know, spirit. I mean, number of times we went behind in games and that we had a 44 unbeaten run, as you say. We got beat at Dundee 4-3. And I remember Walter, you know, really lacing into us that day. He didn't do it often. Um, and then we just went on a, an unbelievable run, the 10 games undefeated in Europe, which was, you know, incredible um, memories, to be honest. But yeah, the, the, the cut win against Aberdeen was... Um, Obviously, the back pass rule had just come in, and early on in the game, it went to Snelders, who Theo would, you know, bounced off his chest, and I managed to to put it through Lee's legs for the first goal. And I remember Theo joining, obviously joined us from Aberdeen seasons later. Um, I used to always remind him to keep his legs shut after that because uh, it gave me great pleasure. Yeah, and it wasn't like I say, it wasn't something I did often. Um, and then we went on to to get the, the first trophy of the season early on before, as you say, we used to play the, the, the League Cup um, before Christmas. We used to finish it then. To get that trophy in the, in the bag early on, you know, built us up for the rest of the season, really. That, that day when Walter gave you all a bit of a hard time, could you have imagined that afternoon that you would go on the unbeaten run that you did and and have the success that you did? Was it just a case of, well, we don't want to upset him again, let's go and try and regroup? But nobody would have thought how that, you know, how the rest of that season would have Unfolded, obviously beating Aberdeen again in the Scottish Cup final, winning the yeah. league. It, it turned into a really you know, a memorable and a remarkable season for you. It was, it was, and it, you know, obviously throwing the European campaign in which you know we were what a, a one-game playoff against Marseille away from from getting in the final of you know European Cup at the time, Champions League, whatever, was you know fantastic. But yeah, I, I think and, and to. to to clinch it all, to do the, I mean, you can ask for better to win the, if Hamden's out of um, service, which it was at the time, to go and win the, win the treble on your uh, rival's patch, you know, probably couldn't sum up the season any better, really. Um, you know, it was, it was a, yeah, it's, I think the, the hard part then, after that, as much as confidence was so high, was actually then going on from there and, and trying to emulate that season. And I think, you know, the season after was you know, probably one of the... Um, no, it was an OK season. It was the season after that was was a bit poorer. But, yeah, it was... You know, looking back on it, I think there was so many... As I said, I, th- I think when you've got... You had Coyston Big Mark up top. Um, you know, we'd go behind in games. But we always believed that we would score goals. You know, we were that sort of side. Very attack-minded team. But we had... In them days, it's something lacking now in football. It's been lacking for a long time. Leadership. Captains, we had probably about seven or eight captains on the on the on the park, um, and it, it was just a a spirit. I think the the players bonded with supporters, and everything about the club at the time was 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 surging forward. And you know, just so lucky to be involved in such a a great squad. But you know, at a time when the when the club was flying, at such a great a great club. You also mentioned the Champions League games there. The Two games against Leeds are still talked about and still uh, remembered so fondly to this day. What did those two games mean to you? Obviously, I would be at Ellen Road as a as a boy. How special yeah. was that? Today? And how yeah. special was playing those games? Yeah, fantastic. Um, obviously, when the draw was made, Leeds were made favourites straight away. 
Um, I think the, the midfield four was probably one of the best midfield fours that they've ever played in the Premier League. Um, you know, we Gordon Stracker on the right, obviously Scottish international, fantastic player. Gary Speed, the late Gary Speed on the left, great player for Wales. Gary Mack, Gary McAllister, middle of park, Scottish international, and David Barry, who was a tremendous England uh, international as well in there. So there's a really strong midfield. So going into the games, you know, I knew that was going to be an area that the part that was going to be key as well. Um, but the atmosphere, I think, you know, speak at Gary Mack, they, they'd say the atmosphere, the Leeds players have never, I don't think any of us had heard the atmosphere like that in the tunnel walking out. It was, you couldn't hear each other and you could see the Leeds players looking at each other and um, we come out and obviously within a minute it's gone from the most, you know, riveting atmosphere to, you couldn't hear a pin drop, you know, Gary Mack strikes a volley, unbelievable strike in the top corner. And at that time, we, you know, Rangers um, didn't give Leeds tickets and Leeds didn't give Rangers tickets. We, you know, weren't allowed through the, the channels to have any away supporters there. But I'd done a deal with Gary Mack and a couple of boys had swapped tickets. So I got Gary some for up here and uh, he got me done some for my family down at Ellen Road. But um, I think that the key thing to that was to come back to 2-1. But I remember the final whistle going at Ibrox and it was like a sort of a, uh, a, like a disappointment from the crowd, a sort of side, because we were on top so much the second half, we should have won by three or maybe four. And because we never got another goal, I think there were a lot of doubts in people's minds that we could go down there. And right, the, the, the lead up to the game down at Ellen Road, I remember them went to ask a lot of the ex-Leeds players, the Scottish players, you know, your Eddie Grays and, and, and people like that, I think Peter Lorimer. Um, and it wasn't so much that, Leeds were going to get through or they were going to win. It was how many they were going to win by. And I think that's how the English press looked at it as well. I remember people thinking it was going to be three or four nil. And, you know, we didn't need any more motivation, if I'm honest. You know, it's a battle of Britain. We went down there and we did to them what they did to us. Big Mark scored a fantastic goal in the first couple of minutes. Silenced the crowd. Hey, We went on there to, obviously we had to do a lot of defending. They had Cantona up front. They had a good, good side, as I said before. And the goalie was in, in great form. Um, and then we got a fantastic second goal. Great counter-attack. Um, great cross by Big Mark and Coisey. Fantastic header. Here's Haitley. Coist on the far side. It's a super goal. And Rangers now have thoroughly killed off this European Cup tie. So... Yeah, and lots of things I remember about it. Straight after the game, the first person in the dress, dressing room after it was, was Sir Alex Ferguson. I think it was the first time he'd, he'd met up with uh, Archie again after Archie had left him to come to Rangers and left Manchester United. I don't think they spoke since, but um, he came in, he went around all the players and congratulated us. Um, and then we went back to Manchester. We were staying in Manchester that night before we flew back up. And obviously... You know, rivalry down there, Manchester and Leeds, Man United and Leeds, you really don't like each other. So we went out, out in Manchester to a sort of private function and uh, we got looked after there. And I, I remember coming back, um, coming back to the hotel about three or four o'clock in the morning, went up to my room and I was rooming with Dale Gordon. There was bodies everywhere. Um, I think Bomber's two pals were in the room, Durant's brother. There was no room. So I, I went back down there back down the uh, down in the lift and I got to the bottom of the lift I was going out to see if the, the hotel had another bed for me or you know a spare room and David Dodds was 
you know, sat there in the, in the foyer, a cigar, a champagne bucket, like a bottle of champagne. And I always got taught, it was, it, was, it was always rude to let somebody drink on their own. So I pulled up a chair next to him and we started reminiscing and uh, had a couple of glasses of champagne. And the next minute I can remember, ding, the, uh, the lift doors opening up and out came Walter, suited and booted, immaculate as always. He looked at me and Dodds, he was slumped in the chairs. Says, bus leaves in 15 minutes, make sure you're both on it. And I'm like, ah, I've just woke up and he's glaring and that soon sobers you up. And he's walking away, he says, don't forget we've got a big game Saturday. And as he's walking away, I've just gone, Gaffer, come on, it's only Celtic. And he's looked at me and <laughs> that was it, he just glared and carried on. So as anyway, it transpires, we get back up the road on the Thursday and Friday. And it's an early kick-off to a half past 12 Saturday. And we go out and I remember thinking, we started the game and we didn't start well, Celtic were on top. And I thought, me and my big mouth, I wish I'd have kept my mouth shut. I said, oh, it's only Celtic. But, you know, we just had a spirit about us that day. And, oh, every day. And Celtic were a better side. But I remember we Durant scoring, we held on. And we just stuck together as a unit. And, you know, it was, uh, yeah. So the, 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 the game against Leeds, the second game was fantastic. Um, put, you know, Scottish football on the map worldwide, really. And certainly put Rangers again there because we'd beaten the English champions and we were, we were going on further into Europe. How, how do you reflect on that Champions League campaign as a whole? Obviously, it ended in, in disappointment. You had the whole Marseille uh, situation as well. When that season ended, having had such great success domestically, was there a wee kind of tinge of regret that you couldn't go all the way in the Champions League? I, th- I think only afterwards, when it came out, obviously, about the, the match fixing or whatever went on. Um, I never really worried too much about that. But I, I, I think the I think the sort of disappointment was sort of balanced out with the pride that we'd with um, sort of shown us the club, um, the supporters travelling in Europe were fantastic, the players, the, the, just the, the, the football club name in general throughout, the, throughout Europe. Um, I think the game against Marseille was a key one over there. Obviously at home, we were 2-0 down against them. I mean, they had world-class players. And we came back and showed the spirit and drew two each, two late goals, Swiggy and, and Big Mark again. And then when we went out there, Big Mark had got sent off, so we... We missed him out there, but we Durante again, fantastic, you know, finishing the far corner, and um, we give us a lot there. And we, we, you know, if we'd have won that, we knew we'd have been in the final. But likewise, if we'd have lost it, we'd have been out. So we still have a chance going into last game against CSK at uh, home. And I think what sticks in my mind that night, um, obviously, we were, we were, we needed um, Marseille to get beat in the other game, which they managed to win. So it was our game was irrelevant in, in that case if we'd have won or not, but. I remember two things. I remember nil-nil finishing and their players like celebrated as if they'd won the Champions League. And I, th- I remember thinking that was a bit strange because all they'd done, they'd got a draw. They'd not, you know, so maybe when you look back, were they, were they on big bonuses to do that? I don't know. But it, it, it was strange at the time. But I think the overriding feeling was one of pride again because I remember Goffey, you know, cut head bandages a bit like Terry Butcher back in the World Cup days and we did a lap of honour even though we'd gone out of Europe and the fans rose I mean they all stayed behind and you know they give us a you know tremendous you know evasion going off the park at the end of it and that'll always stick with me in that memory so yeah disappointed we couldn't go a step further but you know realistically with the side we had um, you know to go as far as we did against some you know really good good sides was, was a great achievement Sure, we've had um, Ian Ferguson and, and Dave McPherson on, on the pod 
and, and we asked them this, this question, and perhaps a difficult one, but do you feel any resentment towards Marseille, um, even now after it, everything's transpired and, and what came out about how they behaved that year? Do you know, I, I don't really. I, I, I never got involved in all that. I know, I suppose if I've looked in it in more detail and realised what went on and that, but because I don't know enough about it, but I think if you just look at the quality of player they had, I mean, I, I don't know you know, who to say they wouldn't have gone on and, and, and did what they did because, you know, as I said, they had world-class players in that side. Um, and I think it was just a, an absolute tribute to ourselves. They couldn't beat us over the two games. Um, you know, a lot of our lads we were just a tight-knit unit. You know, we, were, we weren't all even internationals at that stage. You know, we had lads that were just, you know, were, were great teammates. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, no, I, I, I don't get... I don't get hung up about that, if I'm honest. It's, it happened. Whatever happened, as I said, I don't know enough about it. Um, and, and it's not going to change anything. So looking back and being bitter and resentful doesn't help. Looking back and being proud of his achievements makes, makes me feel better, if I'm honest. Would it surprise you if I said, told you that Ian Ferguson wasn't quite as forgiven? <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me at all about Fergie, no. But, um, yeah, everyone's, listen, everyone's got a different makeup. I had... Um, I thought Fergie was a, not only a, a, a really good, good, good top player, but a good lad. Great, great dressing room. Great time in the dressing room. Um, and he was a good pal and he always will be. Moving on from, obviously, the, the highs of 92-93. You've touched on this earlier, but um, six in a row, Rangers would do the double. We'd beat Hibs and Ali would obviously make his return in you know, all, the only way Ali could. Um, but that was... I've over, we've spoke to, to Big Dave and we've said to Ian as well that it was a good season, Rangers done the double, but it was a it was a tired season. I mean, there was a yeah. lot of injuries, um, even yeah. things like that the pitch was knackered and, and a lot of things went wrong. But to, to do the doubles is still a, a special season. But what do you, what's your memories of, of, of that year? And um, <clears throat> was it a cut accumulation of, of maybe the year before and all them efforts just kind of, rolled in and, and we were just a, a wee bit a wee bit tired yeah I, I think listen the whole season as a whole was okay I think the season after it was as we'll go on to was poorer but I think the highlights in that season if you remember um, I was injured at the time I was in the club there and Fergie talking about Ian previously got a fantastic goal against Aberdeen in the, in the quarter-final league cup at Ibrox and then the draw was made and um, you know Walter um, we got drawn against Celtic and at that time obviously it, it um, had to have a toss of the coin to see where we were going to play play the game and um, Walter Walter had a toss of the coin after the game live on telly with Joe Jordan after the Aberdeen uh, quarter final and the coin tossed and Joe got it right and then it was, looked like it was going to be the, the, the semi-final was going to be at Celtic Park but then um they decided that that was just to decide who was going to call. So Walter threw that in. And anyway, so they, they did it again. Joe then had the privilege of calling, but he called it wrong. So we, we won the toss and the, the game was going to be at, uh, at our, our park, obviously. Ibrox. And I remember going out that night, believe it or not, I think there was a few of the boys went out and I got in a conversation with, with some Celtic supporters and actually were okay. And then one lad joined it and I remember him saying, uh, oh, yeah, he called me, couple of names thought it was a cheat well, you know I, I'd not tossed the coin I'd not decided where the game was going to be the semi-final so there was a little bit of banter going and 
you know, I remember saying again, me and my big mouth, I said, listen, we, we'd rather play it because our record at, at Celtic's ground was far better than it was at home. We, we got better results um, throughout my time when we played away from home. Um, you know, we drew a lot of eyebrows and got beat a couple of times at home. But, um, you know, I said to him, I said, listen, I'd rather play at your place. We'll beat you up. And in fact, I said, we'll play you with 10 men. You know, a bit rather because last time we played them, we had 10 men. Anyway, as you can imagine, I mean, weeks down the line, out we go at Highbrook. The worst thing is you're coming out the tunnel and instead of seeing all your Union Jacks and the red, white and blue, you're seeing Celtic supporters because they had 50-50 split. So it was actually a bigger lift for their team and, and their players to come out at your, your rival's ground and half the ground. And it was a bit of a, you know, a negative for us, if you like. It might have been better to play at their place. Um, and there again, early on in the game, Peter Hooster gets sent off and we go down to 10 men. But again, digging deep, remember we Gerante, Robin, I think it might have been Galloway on the, on the dead ball line and squaring it back for Big Mark, who scored. And we ended up winning 1-0. Um, and then going on and obviously, um, you know, winning the League, the, the League Cup final against Hibs, as you mentioned. So there were, there were highlights in that season, although not many. But I think the end of the season came to a bit of a, we'd won the league and we didn't win many more games. I think they're obviously the hugest disappointment. We're going for the double treble against Dundee United and we just never turned up on the day. We were really, really poor um, with a chance of, you know, as I said, getting a second treble on the trot. So, yeah, we did We did have a few injuries. I think, you know, I think the last five league games, I don't think we won one. We went into the final in poor form, but everyone made us favourites because what we'd done. Um, and it was just like a real damp squib end to the season. But... When you look back, you know, we still managed to win, you know, two two trophies. The squad perhaps needed um, a wee bit of a lift. And you, and you um, would say that seven in a row was, was maybe a poorer season than six. When, when I suppose that's right because we didn't have any cup triumphs and yeah. we went out of Europe early. But um, you would play 36 times and, and bag four goals. But seven in a row is probably fondly remembered by the sport because of the arrival of Brian Loudrup. Ian Ferguson called him the hernia maker because he was so difficult to get to in training. And, and one day in training, he went one way and Fergie went the other and away went his hernia. But what <laughs> could you tell us about Brian and, and that season for seven in a row? How did that change your game and change the team? Because um, I know Archie used to say, you know, get the ball to Brian, etc. But how did how did that affect the team and how did it affect your game? Yeah, no, listen, I, listen from, from when I first came in, 91, 92, We'd added only three or four players each season, um, and mainly Scottish players. I remember Gordon Jury coming in and, and Big Duncan Ferguson and Alan McLaren and the like. And this season was the first season we'd actually, you know, sort of highlight with Basil Bolly came in and, and obviously Brian came in. And I remember the first one of his first games against Celtic, and I was, I was up again, I was, I was injured. Um, I was up in the stand and I was over watching it right top of the club deck and it was right in the bottom corner and I remember Brian I don't know if it was Tosh McKinley or Tom Boyd went in with a tackle with him and I remember Brian sort of skipping out a little bit and you know there was a bit of a because uh, we knew he was a, you know, a, a good player I didn't realise how good he was until he came and joined us but I remember going down in the dressing room after the game I think we drew one all and I just had a quiet word with him and said listen I know that you know tackling's not your game but you can't be seen to do that in, in games like them. You've just really got to go put your foot in, even though if you're going to get smashed. And I think he took that on board. But, you know, that was the only one negative. You look at him thinking, is he going to be the right type, you know, to come into a, a, a league like this? Well, 
you know, he, he certainly, you know, showed my first, my first thoughts was totally wrong. You know, it was only one, in, one isolated incident in one of his early games. But then he went on to just be, again, not just a, an absolute outstanding footballer, but an outstanding person. Great guy. Um, joined him with, a, with, with the Scottish culture as much as he could, you know, and which obviously meant having a, a couple of shandies now and again. And, you know, I think his wife, you know, certainly joined in and, and, and was made welcome. And, you know, I think at that stage as well, the players and the wives, and, you know, that helps, you know, in the, in the you know, watching the games and the families come and it makes it a, a club that sort of helps people settle in. Um, but yeah, Brian got lots of, I mean, a long body, I mean, a big long body, didn't he? But, you know, in training, you know, I used to think we had, you know, really good defenders, you know, Goffey and, and, and Bomber and, and, the likes, you know, big slim, but like, but Brian used to sort of embarrass us all, you know, he used to take it past four or fivers and put it in the corner, and uh, I think sometimes Archie and Walter used to have to sort of pull him and say, listen, steady on, make it two touch for five minutes, so he'd have to just pass it and couldn't dribble around us all, but no, he, he was just, he uh, was a fantastic talent, um, and yeah, there were stages where, you know, getting the ball, wherever he played, but I think Walter was clever, he, he played him out wide sometimes, but then he ended up going down the middle, and, and playing in a free role and he could roam from left to right and, you know, creative. He enjoyed creating goals as much as he did scoring them. But it was, it was certainly, after the season we'd had, he was, a, you know, the, the player that came up. And as I said, that the, the, the season, his first season in Basel, I thought it was quite a poor season. We got knocked out in all the Europe, League Cup, Scottish Cup very early on. Um, but we, we managed, obviously, to, to win the season that year in Lauders as that day. He was a highlight of the season, no doubt, that, that, that year. That following campaign, Stuart, the eight-in-a-row campaign, obviously fondly remembered for, for how it ended with the, the Loudrop final and also the Gaza a, a performance and inspiring Rangers to victory over Aberdeen that, that wins the league. How did, how did having Gaza in the, in the squad impact things, but how did also having him in the, in the team impact on you? Was it just a case of you do the dirty work and then I'll give the ball to him? Yeah, but um, no, I, I think as the previous season, we'd obviously brought Bolly and Laudrup in. We, the club then went and sort of eclipsed that, if you like, and, and brought um, Paul back from Italy, which, you know, was greeted with universal acclaim by all the supporters. And um, he settled in, you know, brilliant. And, you know, again, you don't need me to tell you about his ability, um, but as a person in the dressing room, probably the most generous, kind-hearted person I've ever known. Um, yeah. Obviously, he had his demons at times. But um, once he got in that football park, he was a genius. But, but in fairness to him, you know, I mean, we were all fighting for... Obviously, Gazza arrives. There's myself, there's Fergie. There's, you know, lots of other good midfielders there at the same time. And, you know, we were all battling for places in the team. But you know, I remember we starting off with Gazza and sort of saying to him, listen, I'll, I'll, do, the, I'll do the tackling and the, and the graft and the defensive side of it. And I'll just get you the ball and you go and hurt the teams. Different to Lauders, because Lauders, Brian played the higher up the part. But that was that, you know, we, if we could get the ball to Brian, we knew we'd create a lot of stuff in the season prior to it. This time, but then Gaz, he, he just wanted to be a, a, a normal box to box midfielder. You know, he, he would say to me, no, he says, oh, you know, and he'd track his runners and he'd put tackles in and he'd try to win headers. He wanted to create some tacklers, but he would never just give up on his defensive duties, you know, and so for me, he wasn't, he wasn't a, a luxury midfield player in that because he had a great ability, but he would do all the other stuff as a proper teammate. He'd work hard for the team. You know, yeah, there was times when, 
you know, we play in a more advanced advanced role. Um, but, you know, it wasn't one that would say, he could easily just say to me, that's right, well, you do all that and just give me the ball. But it wasn't like that. It was, uh, it was a, a, pro- a proper team player as well. Um, I think he'd been brought up the right way. He wasn't, a, like I say, a luxury forward type player. Um, he did everything, but he, obviously his main assets when you got him on the ball, his dribbling ability, his passing ability, um, you know, the way he could shield the ball and everything. So, um, yeah, it, it, did it change my game? Not really. Obviously, it was a different partner to like Fergie had been. Um, you know, me and Ian were seen as probably two similar players, got up and down the park, got tackles in. Um, Fergie probably had a better scoring record than me. Um, but and then Gaza and we, we sometimes always played in a three as well at times. But um, so he was, was a different partner. Um, but creativity, you know, it was incredible. And obviously, no better day than the, the game at home to, to Aberdeen to, to clinch eight in a row. Um, and it, and it's funny how you, you go on and talk about the the Loudrop Cup final when poor Gordon Jury, one of my best pals, gets a hat trick in that game, and they still call it the Loudrop Cup final. But <laughs> you know that was. Uh, the measure of how, what a good day Brian had as well. But I think when we talk about a couple of the, the Dundee United um, Cup final back in the, was it 93, 94, and we, and we finished on a damp squib, I think what helped us to probably put in our best Cup final performance, beating obviously Hearts 5-1, was the fact that we had to play at the top of his game all season. You know, Celtic under Tommy Burns, they only lost one game that season. They pushed us all the way. So our... Going in the last four or five games of the season, we had every player to get in the side had to be on top of the game, and that I think you know showed in the in the cup final when we went out and um, you know played so well. And for me, that was a you know unbelievable season. You know to to do the double like that and how we did it. You know winning it almost on the last day, second last day with with Gaza's hat trick, and then going beating Hearts five one. It, it couldn't have been a better um, a better you know finish to the season really. How, how do you reflect on the on the nine in a row campaign? Also, a huge one for the club and for the manager and that and that squad, but not a, a not a great one for yourself. Was it was it tricky to can you be on the like be on the fringes of the of the squad and having to keep watch on as as history was made? It was, yeah. Obviously, you know, felt unbelievable that we we managed to do nine in a row. What we'd strive for. We started talking about nine in a row. Certainly, supporters when we got to maybe six or seven. So to clinch nine in a row was was brilliant. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think even if it done DNA, I, I felt a little bit of a fraud, you know, being involved in it, looking in, even though I'd not played a part. But, you know, I, I think, as you say, going back right at, at the top program, when you, you say I got six medals, which is, or six league titles, should I say, which which is true. Because um, people sometimes put me down for just having five. But, you know, in that league campaign, um I only played seven times, but as I said to, to the gaffer, uh, at the end of the season, we won all seven. I think the last game we beat Celtic at home 2-0. So even though I'd only played seven games, he managed to get me a medal, you know, because I think you had to play a percentage of games. Um, but, you know, I, I did remind him that them seven games were, were critical in us winning nine in a row. So that was a little bit of comfort I took in it. Um, but yeah, obviously brilliant to do nine in a row. But I did feel after playing and contributing so much in the previous season or playing a lot of games anyway um, then to miss out on so much was slightly disappointing um, from a personal point of view naturally but um, you know one that we'll always look back on as a club with you know fantastic memories As you say um, Stuart that 
we 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 spoke to Michael Ball about this as well, and he obviously had a lot of time injured, and he he said similar to you that he maybe didn't feel part of it and things. But can I just say something to yourself? Um, of all the people that deserve to enjoy nine in a row, you're certainly one, and you certainly shouldn't feel like a fraud. The, the performances and everything you gave us on on that run up to nine, um, certainly me, you know, you were unlucky with injury in that season, but um, you know, you certainly weren't a fraud to be a part of that. You were you were outstanding in the, in our years coming up to that. Um, I appreciate that, but it, it, it's funny because I can remember when I did it. I did it Ajax away. And I snapped me, snapped me, uh, my tendon, my leg- ligament. And funny enough, it was 11 months to the day that I made my uh, comeback. And it was at home against uh, Celtic in the, in the reserves on a Saturday afternoon. There was no first-team games on. I think it might have been an international week. And uh, I think we Gattuso played. And we, we, we came back and it was 11 months to the day I, I returned. And there was 30-odd, th- not just... Not to see me, may I add, but because there was no game, and I think it was the second or third highest crowd in the uh, in the in the entire in Britain. So that just showed you the pull that uh, you know, obviously Rangers Celtic games had at that time. But yeah, it was um, that season was you know it, it was a great season, you know. But to be there at Tannadice and to be involved in the afterwards and to see Charlie Miller cross it with his left foot and Brian Head, it was you know things you'd never see you see on a football park. So yeah, no, I. I and, and, and going out, you went. Obviously, I went to all the games, and I was as big a support as anyone. Um, but yeah, I suppose when you look back on the whole nine in a row campaign, it was nice to play as many games as I did, and then obviously not to look back on with great memories. The the following season, um, obviously it didn't work out, and we didn't manage to win the league. Um, obviously, disappointment in the Scottish Cup, and it would turn out to be your last year and with the club. He managed yeah. 38 appearances, um, chipped in with a couple of goals. Uh, we've obviously we've spoke to boys before about this, and there was a lot of a, a kind of accumulation of things that happened that year with Gaza going and yeah. Brian maybe not being where he should be mentally, um, injuries, uh, Walter leaving, and things like that. How do you sum up your, your kind of last year in, in light blue? Well, I think as a whole, you can not make excuses. We can say what points to lots of things. I think if you look at the beginning of the season, I mean, at the end of that last season, things are like to Bomber, retired, Trevor Stephen, Goffey went away, Big Mark finished, David Robertson left. So there's a, a, a real um, strong core of what had won us five, six, seven, eight in a row. And we had that going. And, and maybe it was time for a few of them. You know, we, we were all getting a bit older, whatever. And, and as I say, a couple retired through injuries or whatnot. But then we obviously had a, a big influx. I think we brought you know four, the four Italian boys in. Um, and, and that season, I think we brought maybe, I don't know, 11, 12, 13 players in, which was a big, big change. Yeah, then obviously it coming out about, which I, I know for a fact the gaffer didn't want it to come out, but it, it came out that he was leaving at the end of the season, stepping down. Um, Brian came out that was, he joined a pre-contract with, with Chelsea. Gaza left, although he didn't leave up until probably March, you know, back end of it. So it wanted, though he'd gone in January, but he played a lot of the season. Goffey had come back. So you, you can put a lot of things down to it. Certainly, I think Celtic got stronger. Um, they, had, they then got players in the team, likes of Stubbs and Burley, um, that not only were decent players or good players and Lambert, but they actually then started mixing outside socially and they started getting a bit of spirit about their group so that played a part for them but 
you can throw everything into to the, to the pot about whose fault or why we didn't do it or whatever. The bottom line is we, we had a home game against Kilmarnock, the last game of the season, to win. And, you know, you have them days sometimes. We had lots of chances and whatever. I don't know. I mean, we still had, obviously, an experienced side out on the park. But, you know, if I could ever play one game, I, I was fortunate. I played, I think, 998 competitive games in my, in my career. Um, internationals and everything thrown in there, competitive games. And I think if I could play one one game again, it would be would be that game. Um, so for whatever reasons, injuries, players leaving, the gaffer going, Gaza leaving, we had to even four games to go, and we got beat at Aberdeen. I think one nil. Um, but the home game against Kilmarnock will always rankle, and we look back on that time. And I remember again. And well, I, I still had another year left of my, my, my contract, but I think deep down, I thought it might be time for me to go. But that day, I remember Goffey, it was, it was going to be his last game at home, probably Coyste, Durante. You know, a lot of the players, it was, we were doing a lap of honour at the end of the, the game, and, and it was, oh, it was, it was so emotional because, you know, we looked as though we'd, we'd blown it, and which in the end we, we had. Um, but yeah, so so hugely disappointing to 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 where it ended. Um, you can point to lots of things, but you know we had one game to win, and unfortunately, you know in the past when we needed to win and we managed to do it, um, but we couldn't win that game. Um, but then even even the cup final, you know, you can we can point to things at the cup final. Yeah, you're not clutching at straws. The penalty, the, the penalty early on for Hearts was probably I don't know a foot. Couple of feet outside the box, Fergie's chance, I think, on Stevie Fulton, was it? Um, but what I remember of that night is going back to Ibrox the first time, obviously, none of us had won a, a trophy that season. And, you know, as we do, there was a, 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 a sort of a party after the game um, at, back at Ibrox in the Suites. I remember myself, Durant, and Coyster going back down to the dressing room to have one look, last, last look round, really. And all three of us sort of broke down at once, you know. Tears, crying, grown men, but you know it was it was really emotional um, and tough. Uh, but then you know, let, let's think of what we have done, what we what we did succeed at, what what we've not just won, but the memories that we've got, the pals that we've made. Fortunate to play for you know, unbelievable football club. Um, and we ended up going back upstairs and with his families and the other players and. You know, we, we sort of had a, 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 a tribute to, yeah, it was hugely disappointing. Of course, we, you know, we, not to win anything that season and to go out, you know, to leave the club on a, on a season how we'd, we were going to do. Um, but it was more of a, uh, we turned it into sort of a reminisce the, the great times and remembering certain games and remembering certain trophies and remembering certain parties, whatever it may be, and, and memorable times. So, yeah, it was, it was a sad way, very sad. Um, as I say, I had a season left and I spoke to, you know, I think it was, I can't remember sports, I don't think it was Dick, Dick Direct, or it might have been. Um, and he wanted, or it might have been David Murray, but he wanted me to stay on for another season. I wouldn't play as many games, but I would be there as a, sort of help the younger ones come through. You know, you like to Charlie Mera, Derek McInnes was there. Um, obviously, young Barry Ferguson, and maybe to help them come through. But there were, Jonas Turner had come, George was in there. You know, we had a, a multitude of... Fergie was still there, I think, Ian. Um, loads of midfielders. I just felt it was right at that time. At the end of the season, I had a year left. I didn't want to 
you know, leave Rangers. But I thought, uh, uh, you know, Dick coming in with his, you know, like a lot of foreign players coming in, some fantastic buys he brought. Um, and I just felt it was an end of an era with Walter and Archie going. The players that I've said, you know, that I'd, I'd played all my seven years with them, I'd left the club. And I just felt it, were a, it was right for Rangers and it was right for myself. Um, but, you know, it was, a, it was a sad time, obviously, when I walked out indoors. But I remember, you know, John Gregg famously saying, you know, you know, once you've been a Ranger, you'll never be a stranger. And, you know, it couldn't have been truer. Every time I go back to the club, I'm, I'm met with great warmth. Um, and it's, it fills me with great pride that I managed to play as many times as I did for, you know, probably the best club in the world. You mentioned right at the start of this podcast, Stuart, how when you were at Bradford, the aim was to play top flight football with Bradford. Did you ever think that when you when you went back there after leaving Rangers that that, that dream would be realised all those all those years on? No, certainly not. Um, especially after the first five games, I think we were third bottom um, of the what championship as you call it now. Um, but again, we, we went on and run, and we had a good spirit in the side and. Um, we managed to clinch promotion the last day of the season at Wolves 3-2. I mean, there were some big, big sides in that division. And for a side like Bradford, we, we weren't fancy to, to go up. So, yeah, um, to, to go back there at 34, and I think a few people think I'd gone down to wind down my career, um, it, 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 it was a, an unbelievable season. Um, to get promoted back into, well, say back into, I don't think they've been, Bradford for 77 years played in the, in the top flight of uh, English football. So that was uh, another box ticked and a dream come true, yeah. Also, one of, perhaps one of the more kind of emotional games, I'm assuming, for you during that time uh, was your uh, testimonial playing for Bradford against, against Rangers, uh, a crowd of over 20,000 down at Valley Parade. What did it mean to you to, to, have, to have that day? And obviously, you mentioned the words of, uh, yeah. there, to, to have the success that you had at Rangers, to then have a testimonial, to then be inducted into the Hall of Fame, now, there's a lot of a lot of boxes being ticked there for you. Oh, incredible! Yeah, incredible memories. I mean, if I had a penny now, um, for everyone that said to me, every Rangers support says that was probably the one of the best days I've ever had tra- traveling and watching Rangers throughout the world, Europe, whatever. People speak to, and I always think if I had a pound for everyone that. Was um, wasn't sober that day. I'd be a very rich man. But yeah, I mean, I think if you speak to supporters, that they remember that day fondly. But it, it, it started from nothing. I, I mean, I, I was up at a European game. I can't remember. I don't know if it was Strasbourg. I don't know. I can't remember who Rangers were playing. I came up for a game Tuesday, Wednesday night to have a have a meeting with the uh, Dick Advocar really about see if Rangers could bring a team down at the end of the season for my testimonial. Um, and Dick says, as much as he would love to, it was impossible with the schedule. You know, players playing international football and didn't Rangers didn't know where they were going to get in in the cup competitions, so it was really an impossibility. Which you know, he looked at, he weighed it up, and he unfortunately couldn't do. And I remember that evening, I was telling John Brown about it, and he said, "Why don't you get the old boys back together?" And I'm thinking, "Well, nobody will be that interested in getting old boys, and you know what? How can that work?" He says, "Well, you get a." Rangers team and a Bradford team and play against each other. I never thought any more of it. 24 hours later, back in my home, I got a phone call from Bomber who'd said he'd got 16 players already signed up for it. He'd got Walter and Archie and Dodgy to come back. He got Jimmy Bell to drive the kit van and bring the kit down. All I had to get was somebody to play Broxy Bear. 
which was quite easy with the family I had. Um, so it was, and I'll just give him a wee name check. It was it was Darren from Glasgow, my, my good pal Darren. He he played Roxy Bear, so there you go. But you know, and I, I remember meeting with the police, and the police said to me at the time, you know, so how, how many fans are you expecting from Rangers? And I went on the sort of exaggerated side. I, I thought to see a group of sort of has-beens, old boys. Having said that, some of the boys were still playing at the time. Um, I said 3,000. So I think I think I had to pay a £20,000 police bill um, before, I, before you know, we, we got the game on. Um, and then, lo and behold, I think that the highest crowd Bradford had had up to then was in the Premier League against Manchester United at 20... 1,000, 21,500, I think it held 24,000. And there we go, over 11,000 bears travelled down, took three parts of the stadium. Bradford fans still talk about it to this day. I don't think they watched the game. They watched supporters doing the bouncing and singing nine in a row for the entire football game. And, and the game itself, I mean, it, it, it was brilliant. I mean, Big George came back, thought that Brian could make it. Brian was on his way and he, he couldn't make it. But all the legends of years gone by. Um, and I remember it was it was um, organised that I would then play for Bradford for the first half and the second half I'd go play for Rangers. Well, lo and behold, um, Rangers were creating a lot at, at half-time. And I've come in and I've, I've gone to knock on the dressing room door and the gaffer's opened it up and he basically says, what the hell am I doing there? They don't want me. They're winning 3-0. Go back to Bradford and play for them. So... <laughs> It was quite embarrassing. But anyway, they let me put a shirt and we came out. And then inside the first, I don't know, half an hour, Bradford had scored two goals. So it was now Rangers three, Bradford two. And I'd been on the pitch. Five five goals had been scored. And I'd been on the losing end all the time. And I remember in the, in the last few minutes, to finish the game, I took me, put Bradford top on, on top of me. Rangers shouldn't have played for Bradford for the last five minutes. And Gordon produced two unbelievable saves at the top draw from me, a volley and a header, two world-class saves, just what he did all his career. And I tried to explain it was my testimony that he should let me win, game finishes 3-all. I think the breakdown was in the park and Gordon Jury scores and Rangers win 4-2. So out of all the, the, the game, six goals, I was on the losing side for it, for each goal going in. So that, that, was, uh, that doesn't normally happen. And then just to, to cap it all, um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the party afterwards at night was, was incredible. We had a Coyce's Pally, Cliffy came down, the band. We had music on till the early hours. The staff stayed, the players stayed. Uh, and yet again, you know, we celebrated like, you know, we used to always do normally end of the season and uh, we had one big party and it was, it was an emotional day. And my four kids all draped out in the Bradford and Rangers kits as mascots. Um, obviously, I've still got the videos of the game, if ever feel a bit... Sort of, uh, I don't know, not down, but you know, needing a lift. Just bang that on and, and watch it, watch the game and the atmosphere. And as I said, speak to Rangers supporters to today. You know, the number of people that came down that day, and uh, probably can't remember much about it right enough. But it was a, a, a fantastic, um, and I was so proud um, to have them people come together, um, supporters, players, staff. Um, fun, such a great day for me. You then. Round off your your playing days or a couple of seasons at Sheffield United, played until your just a couple of days before your forty first birthday. By by that stage, was it time to call it a day? Well, it, it's funny actually because obviously I go go to Bradford at um, thirty four. I stay there for four years, um, 
And I remember Jim Jeffries coming down and managing Bradford. And uh, I got on well with Jim and I was actually part of the coaching staff because I'd been an assistant manager. And, you know, I came to one game and on training session, I was a bit under the weather. And, you know, I, I remember him pulling me aside and sort of saying like, you know, I think it's, it's time to call it a day. I think your legs have gone. Well, you know, I'd been ill. I'd had tons of tonsillitis and, I'd, I'd, you know, I thought it was a bit harsh. So we had a few words and um, that's I didn't agree with him. I didn't think the legs had gone, but maybe, maybe you know, maybe it'd been right. But anyway, in the, in the weeks transpired, uh, and Jim left. Um, and at the end of that season, I ended up playing another, I think, 20-odd games. And every every time I, you know, end of the season, at 38, I got, um, Bradford released me. And I went to Sheffield United under Neil Warnock. Um, and, you know, I was on that, not very much money, you know, it wasn't for the money, it was just to see if I could, big stadium, could I go play another year with some young players and help them out. Um, Sheffield United went on to have the, the best season they ever had, we got to the playoff final, although we got beat against Wolves, we got to the FA Cup semi-final against Arsenal, um, Seaman played off one of the best saves of the, ever, um, we got beat 1-0 and we got beat by um, Liverpool, um, beat them at home 2-1 in the semi-final of the League Cup and got beat at Anfield 2-0 where a young Stevie Gerrard I think he's still in here actually in this pocket here. no he was only a young kid he was only 18 so he got 19 actually got his shirt after the game without knowing that he'd end up being the player and the person and obviously the manager Rangers that he's become um, so yeah it was a season like no then I ended up um, playing the second season I played till I was 40 and I played, I think, 80 games for Sheffield United in the Championship, added on to the 20 odds. So I remember after each game looking up at Peg when I put my boots down, thinking, Here's to you, Jim, <laughs> to Jim Jeffries, said my legs had gone. Ended up playing another 100 and odd games uh, in the Championship. So, yeah, it, no, Sheffield United was brilliant. I went on to have five years there, two as a player, you know, three on the coaching staff. And, you know, again, fortunate enough to go to a club brilliant supporters um, and we had some really successful times and ended up getting in the Premier League um, when I was an assistant manager there so yeah it was it, it was it was fantastic um, you know a, a good way to round off my, my career really playing the start at 18 and played till I was 40 so even though I had a few injuries along the way I was, I was very fortunate to play as a two game short of a thousand games and I suppose if you throw the good games in there I might have got to a thousand Stuart, just before we, we end this uh, podcast and the first part of, of obviously your story, a couple of quick fire questions we like to do with everyone. Um, Favourite Rangers goal? Oh, well, you see, I didn't get many. I, I, listen, I suppose the, 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 the League Cup final against Aberdeen, the first goal, which is so crucial to play, score in a final, would have been. A, I remember scoring um, in the last minutes against Kilmarnock, the first home game. Um, to get us on, to get us going, to get the season up and running after we just had the, the title flag. and with, with, the, with the studs that day, I remember. Yes, exactly. Just right in yeah, front yeah. of the Portland. We were, we, I, I was a brilliant fish, finisher with my studs, I was that, yeah. But I actually, when I look back, again, somebody sends you clips of goals. I actually got some decent goals. But a couple of goals against Sparta Prague, which were um, just good to, to start off with. But... Um, no, I think all my favourite Rangers goals have probably been scored by McCoy or Hartley. Or we, Gerante. <laughs> uh, OK, let's ask you your favourite um, Ibrox moment. Oh, gosh, I'd be here all day. Um, favourite favorite Ibrox moment would be signing for the club. It's got to be. 
it's got to be the first training session out on the out on the park on the Friday with all the coloured seats that were back in the days where they had coloured seats all around the all around the stadium, walking up the marble um, staircase to, to to sign and to you know rubber stamp it. I, you couldn't I couldn't put one highlight down football wise or not. Going into the kitchen every day and Tiny and Irene and just just being involved in the club for seven years. Um, being so proud to walk through the, 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 the doors every day, really. So it, it'd be too difficult to, to, to go to, to, to one specific ball. Now, if you're asking me, the proudest moment in my career would have been um, getting elected into the Hall of Fame and Coyce to give me the award that night at, uh, in the Glasgow Hotel with all my family there. That's probably got to be the most proudest. And then to walk up the steps now when I come to go back with my kids or whatever it's been and see my name in the Hall of Fame. I don't think I could get prouder than that, to be honest. And finally, um, your favourite funny story from your time at Rangers, if you can remember one from the, the dressing room. Ian Ferguson talked about the time when they put the fish in, in Dukey's car. Yeah. Um, have you got any that spring to mind? I, I think, to be honest, everyone always mentions the, 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 the Gaza one. Um, you know, I think most most stories... Listen, we had some fantastic characters. Everyone talks, obviously, Corey Stingeranti, but Bomber and Fergie and Goalie. You know, everyone had the bot. You know, we, we all had different little quirks and different sides to us. But I think, you know, the, 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 the Gaza one, probably it, it, the fish one follows on from There's a lot of Gaza ones. But I, I remember, you know, we, we used to have a, a dress code at Ranger that stood for years and years. And, you know, I, I just, when I left Everton, I just signed a new deal with Nike. You know, and I got all this... Um, Nike gear, you know. I thought I looked, looked the business, and I get to a, to the engine and they tell me it's a shirt and tie. Well, at that stage, I think I only had um, two shirts and one tie. Me in my locker, I think I had, at Everton we had a club suit, never wore a shirt and tie. So when I joined Rangers for two, two I think first three or four weeks, so I never got out shopping. I was known as uh, Willie One Tie. So I only had one tie, but so we had the obviously the tradition of the shirt and tie, and. You know, we used to get fined um, if you didn't come in at 10 o'clock. Anyway, one morning, um, just getting like a minute to 10, we're looking up, there's no Gaza, no gas going, brilliant. Because I think it was a five or a minute, you got charged and that went to the, the kitty for the, the Christmas do or the end of the season do, whatever it may be. Anyway, minute, just ticking on at 10 o'clock, we hear this squelching coming down the, down the corridor, the door flies open, there's Gaza, immaculate, Amani shirt, Hugo Boss tie, Big pair of fishing waders and a pair of wellies. There he was, just been fishing, but he didn't break any. He says, look, there's 10 o'clock, I'm not late, and I've got a shirt and tie on. So you couldn't argue with him. So then after that, you know, he's standing there, get, go off to training, come back, have a bit of lunch, I do what I used to do, go into the gym, and everyone else de- departed, I've come back. Um, and that was the only downside, and I still fall out with Jimmy Bell this day, because when Gaza signed, I, was, I got changed at number three peg. And I said, Jimmy, whatever you do, I'll give you anything. Do not put Gazza at four. There's number 19 spare, 26 spare. Do not put him at four next to me. So what did he do? He put him at four. So for three years, I got changed next to Gazza. And, you know, everything got changed. But that day, I came back. I in a rush. I had to go pick the kids up at school. Go to put my shoes and socks on. Not there. Big pair of wellies. Go to put my trousers on. Not there. Big pair of fishing waders. And my own shirt and tie. So I had to go and pick the kids up with the the, the trackie on and a pair of trainers. But that was Gascoigne. You could never, when he changed next to you, it'd be always little pranks. But we always got him back. 
I think he had to always remember there was more Scots than there were English in there. But um, I could go on and tell you loads of stories with Gaza, probably ones that won't be able to to report on right enough. But the day when he burst the door open and he came in and he was there, his shirt and tie, but he had fishing waders and a pair of wellies on. I think the lads, you know, were rolling around the floor. But it ended up being a joke on me because he left them for me. But uh, I got him back. Don't worry about that. Stuart McCall, there are great memories and great um, stories. It's been a massive privilege to have you on the Four Lads of the Dream podcast. Um, a huge thanks to you for your time this morning. Brilliant. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It uh, makes you a lot feel better when you can look back at memories at that. Thanks, lads. So a huge thanks to Stuart for joining us. Um, we'll be back, obviously, to do the second part of the Stuart McCall story, which we'll talk about his management. Um, huge thanks, as normal, to Chris Jack for joining us. Chris, thanks very much, mate. No problem at all. Always, always good to catch up with Stuart. Some great memories, some uh, some great games, and uh, some great uh, stories there as well. Yeah, Stuart was one of my um, heroes growing up at, at Rangers, as as people know from previous podcasts. I was one of the nine year old boys, so I was one of the ones that 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 made the trip down to to Bradford for his um, testimonial with my with my good pal Stuart O'Neill. Um, from all the way, we drove all the way from Fort William, um, and it was some trip. It was un- unbelievable. Um, a couple of pints were, were sunk that weekend, Chris, I can tell you. I can imagine, I can imagine. And quite right too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, huge thanks to Stuart and Chris. Um, we'll be back with um, the second part of the Stuart McCall story. But before we go, a huge thank you as normal to our um, to Stuart Franklin over at Jersnet. He hosts this, edits it, makes us sound good, um, takes out all our mistakes. And get on to the Jersnet website and come and join us to talk Rangers. There's always something going on. Also, a huge thanks to our sponsors who are Kerry's Crazy Costumes. Um, he's a Fiend TV on Twitter. Go and, go and speak to him and, and um, they can sort you out there. And also, Custom Kitchen Factory guys. Um, in these times, these boys have, have kept us going, helped us edit, and, and they'll, they will continue to sponsor us into next season and things. So, it's a huge thank you to them, guys. We also hope that you're you're staying safe, everyone, um, enjoying the podcast. And we're trying to keep you um, some Rangers content every week. So come on to the, the Four Lads page, Chris Jack's page on Twitter, and let us know if you're enjoying them and give us some feedback. Always keen to, to try and get on some names that you might like. Any suggestions, let us know, and we'll certainly try our best. All that's be left to be said, um, Stuart McCall, Chris Jack, thanks very much. This has been Four Lads of the Dream podcast. Until next time, ignore the nonsense, the irrelevant and the noise. Ready is relentless. Ready is fearless. Ready is fearing no foe. Ready for the next level? Renew your season ticket now and support Rangers into season 2021. Prices are frozen for next season and the renewals deadline is extended. Visit rangers.co.uk slash renew to secure your season ticket today. Always Rangers. Always loyal.